Hello, I'm Jeff Van Trees, and you're watching Mobilize News. We welcome you to our shows. We have a very special guest today. We have Anthony Fernandez. Anthony uh, is a very passionate uh, environmental and human rights activist. Uh, he is in Brazil. He's done a lot of work uh, on behalf of the uh, indigenous communities uh, in the Amazon basin. Uh, and in fact, he was also the chair of the UN Human Rights Council. So he's got uh, some uh, really uh, impressive background going back decades uh, in the human rights and environmental community. So Anthony, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for the opportunity. So let's just start out. You're, you're, you're involved with a number of different organizations and, uh, and activism and efforts, but a central theme to what you advocate for is something called decentralization. Can you explain to us what that is and what role that plays in human rights and the environment? Yes. Um, decentralization, uh, everything that exists is an ecosystem, society, the oceans, the forest, and it's all interconnected and everything works better. Even the media works better uh, decentralized. Um, but it's difficult to uh, see human beings are um, uh, creatures of habits and um, traditional, conventional status quo. Um, they're all hard nuts to crack. Paradigm shifts and um, positive change, even positive change, uh, is, is difficult to explain or to make it enter into the human psyche because we've been social engineered. Um, so I like to start by the opposites and kind of like reverse engineer, so to say, to see if I can explain this and come across uh, with more understanding. Uh, so the opposite, centralization, okay? We were born into a world where the power structures were for the most part centralized. That's top, bottom, okay? It's unnatural. Uh, our forefathers, our ancestors, um, we were all indigenous. And, uh, see, we have a privilege here in Brazil that we have the largest indigenous population. We haven't killed them all. We have a problem with that now, but um, we were just like them. And we have the opportunity to observe them. And they have a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful philosophy and lifestyle and relationship with nature. And we were indigenous once and we were tribal, we were decentralized. But that's for anthropologists to explain. So um, the history as, I, as as I've observed of centralization, is perhaps something that we inherited uh, from the Roman Empire. Um, you know, the Roman armies used to go in faraway lands and conquer territory, divide, conquer, uh, uh, wars, uh, 
kill, rape, steal the natural resources, and even charge taxes, and it would all go to Rome. That's decentralization, okay? And they even had the power of persuasion. They had banners, propagandas. Uh, uh, this is the Roman Empire. Be proud. Uh, peace and prosperity will, will begin or whatever. And they would even make the defeated um, uh, believe that it was a privilege to be Roman, okay? Uh, they, uh, they made the populations and territories that they conquered feel exceptional, okay? Well, that, none of that has changed with the empires that we know today. The same thing. Wars, natural resources, and make the people believe that you're there to save them and to be exceptional. Okay. So, decentralization is bottom up and local, not top bottom imperial power. Um, decentralization is local shared power structures. Uh, or we like to call them collaboration structures, uh, all sovereign individuals with freedom of choice, true freedom of choice, with the power to create, because all individuals have the power to create. We are creators, okay? Um, so all individuals in a decentralized society are sovereign individuals with total freedom of choice and they manage their own natural resources, plan their land and their lives in a sustainable way. They find solutions collectively and defend themselves from exploitation and abuses from any faraway emperor like the old days kings and queens that you believably still have today, or in today's modern area, heads of states, let's just say. These are complete strangers that one doesn't even know, okay, yet uh, follow those centralized rules and even pay them <laughs> we pay the taxes so it's an absurd idea and i believe because uh, you have to really study his history to really try to find the truth because um all history a lot of it is is manipulated as you know it's in a decentralized system I was just going to there say, are no I'm just going to say, Anthony, it's almost as if what you're describing is that it's a system in which a very in which instead of having a very small percentage of the population, a fraction of one percent whose interests control what goes on, what policies uh, are adopted and how the economy works, you're saying that it would be more democratic 
and essentially go out to the majority of people to have agency over themselves. Exactly. Exactly. In a decentralized system, there are no strangers. Uh, in fact, with minor exceptions, everyone in the community or region uh, knows each other because it's geographical. They know each, each one's virtues and their faults, their abilities, talents, propensities. Um, uh, the collective can decide what position best suits each individual based on expertise, experience, their traits. And this, uh, this relationship of knowing face-to-face, -face, sometimes since they were children, uh, helps the community to thrive and for, uh, to prosper efficiently, okay? So, and, uh, so, uh, you know, I, I, cause uh, we just have limited time when you, you've done a lot of really great activism with the indigenous, uh, communities, uh, in, in South America, we have had, uh, similar issues here with indigenous communities in terms of just in, in terms of that decentralized mindset, uh, the, the concept of owning the land or it just the, the earth is being just a resource to be extracted from endlessly until it's destroyed. That's something that is largely rejected by uh, indigenous communities uh, in both hemispheres. Um, can you explain how that concept of uh, exploiting the planet is part of the of that centralized mindset that what, of what you were talking about and how decentralizing uh communities uh, it would be a way to actually restore a lot of that um, uh, regard for the environment, regard for the, for the planet. Yes, because in the Western world, in the modern society, um, uh, we, uh, we are run by uh, corporate and political alliances. And um, the, uh, in the U.S., for example, uh, uh, George Washington, I'm not a believer that the forefathers were God or, or God sent or, or anything like that. And George Washington, um, you know, he owned slaves and, uh, uh, and, and, so, but I have a bit of respect for some of the things, you know, no one is totally evil. And uh, something great did happen after the American Revolution. Um, but he said, for example, that pub private property is important because if the state owns all of the property, then the individual will not have the freedom, as much freedom as if the state were to control his thoughts and push obedience on him because they were the centralized property. So I believe in private property, um, and um, 
but yes, the indigenous, it's all collective. It's, it's all collective. And that's part of the decentralized movement. But you can have private property uh, and uh, live in an intentional community or an off-grid community or an echo villa or what we call food, doing here for food forest communities. Um, uh, uh, but, but that is the, 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 the difference. First is constitutional. It's the right to private property. And uh, then it's, you know, the corporations and uh, the government alliances that they control through the lobbies, um, they, they push private property and they protect private property. And, and even the concept of private property is not, uh, is not necessarily mean that you can't have environmental stewardship. In other words, if I have, if I have, if I own private property and I have a lake or, or there's a stream that's running through my property, it doesn't mean that I can dump unlimited amounts of pollution into the stream because that's going, going to affect everyone else. And there's sort of this, this concept of a community responsibility that we have, that we definitely see with uh, indigenous populations. And that's why they, there often is so much resistance. Uh, I know that you're dealing with that in Brazil, especially with mining that they're trying to do on indigenous lands uh, with President Bolsonaro. Can you tell us a little bit about how that interplay is going on between the government of Brazil and the, uh, the human rights and environmental activist communities? Well, when Bolsonaro, when Bolsonaro came into power, um, he declared that Bolsonaro is a tropical Trump. Okay, he just he just talks um, without thinking, and um, he said, "We will not." He stimulated uh, uh, groups. Kill the activists. I don't want activists in my administration. I don't want um, journalists. <laughs> I don't want environmentalists. Uh, and we're going to kick the UN out of Brazil. Uh, I'm all four of those. So I was, was a little bit concerned, okay? Uh, uh, and then time went by and we realized that Bolsonaro is just Bolsonaro. He's a fascist, but he's, he's one of the worst fascists in, uh, that, that you can ever imagine. He's, he's, a, uh, he's, he's less than a Cub Scout of a fascist. And if the few fascists that are in Brazil, Brazil is a country of, uh, oh, because he said he wanted to kill the black people too, and he wanted to kill the indigenous. But Brazil is the country that has the highest black population outside of Africa, okay? Um, because it's the part of America where most slaves were imported and sold and exploited. And it has the highest uh, indigenous population. So, uh, he was not voted in. It was he cheated. There's just no way he won by popular vote. Um, uh, uh, so uh, we're not really that worried about Bolsonaro. First, because um, 
he doesn't have a um, he's lost a lot of credibility first in the last four years. But even if he were to win again, he may pull a Trump and say, in fact, that's what he's doing. He's just following. He's uh, he's actually uh, together with Steve Bannon and they're planning that if he loses, then they're going to say it's a steal. They stole the election, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a possibility of a military coup. OK, that's the worst thing that can happen now. I know some of the top brass in military, and they don't like Bolsonaro, okay? And uh, the military and Brazil, they have such a tranquil, it's a peaceful country. They never go to war. Um, they have a great pension, uh, and uh, they're, they're not interested. They told me they're not interested in running a country. So the only way they would have a military coup is will not be by the order of Bolsonaro. I'm sorry, will not be by the order of Bolsonaro, but will be because the military will have to go in to regularize or, or, or create a new election. So the next opponent, but even if Bolsonaro wins, he, he, he does have, he, he has very little respect. but. He does not respect the indigenous, the Afro-descendants, and he does not, he has sold out to major corporations, um, especially the Amazon uh, and mineral rights and the rest of Brazil. Brazil is a very rich uh, country and it's, it's huge. The natural resources are, are incredible. Do, do you feel as though, because we, we, had, we had a few scares here in the United States regarding and, and continue to have uh, threats to our democracy, what we had with January 6th and, uh, and calls for some version of a military coup here as well. Can you tell us uh, what is the effect on the population in terms of not having faith in the institutions? Because uh, what you're describing with Bolsonaro really is a form of destroying democracy. Uh, yeah. What effect does that have on the psyche uh, of the population in the sense that you feel like you're not really living in, a, in an advanced democracy, which is how we may have previously viewed a country like Brazil and hopefully what we're trying to avoid here in the States? Yes. If January 6th were to replay in Brazil, it will not have the same effect as the United States. January 6th in the United States was historical and a dangerous situation. If um, something worse would have happened in the Capitol on that date and uh, there would have been another American revolution. Because Americans are well-armed with assault rifles. That doesn't exist in Brazil. As, as many, it's not, uh, it's, it's not within the Brazilian culture. Um, Americans are patriots. They might say, no, we, we need to protect Trump. And um, we believe in his lies. And, uh, so militias could form 
uh, and there would there would be a civil war. That's what I was afraid of at the time. In Brazil, if the uh, here it would be the Supreme Court that Bolsonaro hates because the um, democracies are failing. But Brazil has institutions that actually are working. So um, they've been fighting against Bolsonaro since the first day that he was elected. So there's a good balance of power, which is always important for democracies. And there would, Brazilians don't like to even go to other countries to fight. We have an, uh, uh, a territory with, uh, I don't know, maybe seven nations bordering, but we're a large territory, the strongest economy, the strongest army. So none of these little countries on the border ever uh, uh, create conflict with Brazil. And, and also Brazilians aren't warmongering people. They don't like wars and they hate civil war. Well, yeah, also, I, I, also, Anthony, that you have the fact that the Amazon rainforest, which is located largely in Brazil, uh, is the largest sink of carbon uh, that you know in, in the world in terms of uh, sucking up carbon uh, from the atmosphere. And there's an extensive amount of deforestation uh, that's going on in Brazil uh, that would be absolutely catastrophic to the world, not just Brazil, not just South America. But the entire world, because we would not uh, we we would not have anywhere for that carbon dioxide to go, and it would accelerate and is accelerating climate change beyond uh, beyond the pace, which is already catastrophic. Uh, so, can you tell us about defending the Amazon and what role that the indigenous community uh, has there, and what are the geopolitical considerations uh, in terms of preserving the Amazon? Because I know that you sat uh, on the, uh, the committee with the United Nations. Uh, but it doesn't seem to be, we don't seem to be able to be doing much about climate change in general, and certainly with regard to deforestation in the Amazon. No. One of the reasons I work in the Atlantic rainforest is because I learned the path of least resistance, Okay. If I would have stayed in the Amazon as a young man, I, I may not be talking to you here today. The Amazon is a, there's other nations, Colombia, Peru, um, uh, Guyana, there's Venezuela, there's other nations, okay, which are more violent nations than Brazil. So uh, the Amazon is a place of conflict, okay? Um, and it's, it's a problem because it is, if we lose the Amazon, without having another, this is where my, my philosophy and my life work comes in, um, it, 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 it will be, it will be cat catastrophic for the whole world. So the whole world depends on the preservation of the Amazon, which is, in my opinion, wrong, because we have the Atlantic rainforest also that was once connected to the Amazon, okay, um, and it was huge. It is 93% destroyed, um, 
Only 7% of it remains, but it's intact. It, it's, it's, it's not being deforested at the rate at, at, as the Amazon. Why? Because it's on the Atlantic. And when the explorers came here, uh, uh, this is where the major cities in Brazil. So there's, there's watchdogs and police and there, there's no deforesting. There's no type of serious environmental crimes. So we have alliances and uh, they're near the, the rainforest is near cities. So what my philosophy, what my work is, is since the Amazon is so critical and um, there's such a high possibility that we will lose it, I'm realistic about that, that we need to, to reforest the 93% of the Atlantic rainforest. And that will solve the water cycles because it's the water cycles also that's a problem. That will, that will, that will um, absorb CO2, okay? And it won't have the same problems as the Amazon because the Amazon is very, very remote. There's drug trafficking because there's many different, there's Colombia, Peru, and cocaine. Uh, so that, that creates uh, drug trafficking, um, uh, uh, arms trafficking. There's major corporations that are nasty, like BlackRock, um, that uh, have made alliances with politicians in all the countries of the Amazon for explore. A, 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 a exploring and exploitation of uh, many, many natural resources. And um, the Amazon is far from civilized Brazil, but the Amazon, yes, in my opinion, can one day become Vietnam times 1,000. That's a pretty scary image. We have just under a minute left. Can you tell us how people can get involved? If they, if people that are concerned, whether they're here in the States, whether they're uh, elsewhere, how can people uh, get involved in trying to preserve democracy around the world and to fight for indigenous and environmental rights? Okay. Uh, democracies, as I see them today, they're, they're becoming extinct. Uh, they're, they're no longer democracies. We don't even know who we vote anymore. That's because of mass data manipulation, fake news. So the person that puts their finger in votes, it's not even their mind. It's their what they were programmed to vote. Okay. So um, uh, democracies are very rare ar around the world. Uh, I don't believe they're working right. But it has a lot to do because of the centralized power structure. Okay. So decentralization will create better democracies for the reasons that I said before, because um, it, it's uh, you when you vote, you vote for someone uh, that you know. You don't vote for a suit that has the power of persuasion that talks very nice and uh, received uh, lots of revenues for campaign fund, uh, campaign revenues uh, in order for corporations 
uh, to serve a corporation's special interest. That none of that exists in decentralized uh, communities. We, we so, gonna, Anthony, we are we are just out of time. Uh, this is a fascinating discussion, but we will have to end it there. Uh, but I really again thank you for all the great work that you're doing, and thank you so much for joining us today. Okay, thank you. Thanks so much, Anthony. Check him out. Uh, check out uh, all the great work that he's doing. Check us out at mobilized.news. Uh, uh, you've been watching Mobilized News. Thank you so much, everyone. Take care. Stephen, you came on too early. <laughs>